So how far is heaven? This is a question that has been asked by every civilization from this one on back through to the beginning of time. And even our uh, heritage has uh, tried to answer this question in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and tried to say and set up this idea of what is this heaven thing all about? And where is it? And how do we get there? And, and what, is this, what, what is this all about? Well, the, in Genesis 1, if you look at how the, the uh, authors construct this world, it's according to their own understanding of how the universe works. And they have what's called, or they had what's called a three-tiered universe, or three-storied universe. And the way it works is that we people are here on earth. God is up in heaven in the cosmos. And then death is below that. So there's kind of three tiers here, right? And literally in Genesis 1, it says that God placed the sky to separate the waters above from the waters below, right? And there was, and the way that the wording works is that it's described as a very thin metal sheet that's been hammered to cover the firmament. And of course, they, the world was flat back then, so it was like this flat world, and then there was a very thin metal sheet kind of covering it all. How many of you have ever seen um, the movie The Truman Show? Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that. There was this literal metal kind of sheet covering it all. And... Um, we're in the middle, God's above that sheet, separated from us, and death is below us. That is one way to think about the universe, and for many generations, that's what we believed. And a lot of our hymnology reflects that uh, understanding of God above, the heavens above, everything's up. And we talk about Jesus ascending to heaven, all those kinds of things. This is the language that we have used for many centuries. But then Copernicus came along, and Galileo came along, and all these guys came along and realized that the world's not flat, and that there isn't a thin metal sheet covering it all, that the universe is bigger than we could ever imagine, and that it's expanding, and that there's laws of physics, and there's all these things kind of helping us understand how the universe works. And the way I see it, at least right now, is that the universe is made up of a whole bunch of interrelated relationships, interrelated processes, that the, the whole universe is one big giant relationship, and that God is in and through all of that. And that's kind of where I think we get this idea of, in God we live and move and have our being that God is part of, is in and throughout all the universe, is on display in all of creation, that God is able to be experienced in every moment, in every place. And so how does that help us think about heaven? Well, I actually want to talk in a, a little bit about how heaven informs our understanding of salvation. Because the question, I think, of heaven is ultimately about how are we saved? How are we able to be in relationship with God 
And how does that relationship play out through the rest of eternity? And so this question of how far is heaven needs to be asked and it needs to be answered. And in fact, in the first verse of the song we just heard, that helps, helps me see that there really is this connection between heaven and the question of salvation, is this. The very first verse says, Save me from this prison. Lord, help me get away, because only you can save me now from this misery. And that's kind of a sad line, actually, in the midst of a very kind of upbeat song. But what he's trying to say is, heaven, in his mind, I think, in the, in the writer's mind of this song, is a place of peace and harmony and love. And we're not experiencing that right now. How far away is that from us, truly? How far is your salvation from us? Please save us from the kind of the muck and the mire that we find ourselves in. The chaos. We talked about that even already in the service. And what I want to posit this morning is that salvation is not actually about punching your ticket to heaven. A lot of times in Christianity, we set up this formula that you must believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. That the end result of Christianity is heaven. And what I want to posit is that salvation is not actually about that. That salvation is actually about what happens here and now, more so than what happens after we die. I think salvation is about realizing that heaven can be found in this time and in this place and can be experienced even now. And that it's not just about where we go when we die. Because we ultimately don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know what that's going to be like. There's lots of stories and, and uh, stuff out there about what heaven is like. And there's all this stuff about walking into the light and you know, walking through fields and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's all great. And, and I think there is probably some legitimacy to all of that. But Jesus came not just to get us into that happy place way down the road, but to bring about a kingdom of God that had a different paradigm of living in the here and now. And I think what Jesus is actually trying to say, even in this passage, is that God and salvation is ultimately about God being with us. And us being with God. There's a lot of talk in this passage about dwelling places, right? There's a lot of talk about dwelling together. I want to highlight some of these spots. So it says in verse 2, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. And in the Gospel of John, one of the things that, you, uh, that helps you maybe understand where all of this is coming from is that one of the major themes in the Gospel of John is this idea of abiding. 
And, you know, further in the Gospel of John, uh, or further back in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks a lot about, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I remain in you. Uh, Abide with me as I abide in you. That theme kind of runs throughout the Gospel of John. And that theme continues in this passage. Because the word for dwelling places there is the same root word as that for abide. It's actually probably more uh, accurately translated as, in my father's house there are many abodes. There are many places to abide. And it goes on, Jesus I think goes on to explain what that means to be in a dwelling places dwelling place, to dwell with God, to abide with God. He says, so that where I am, there you may be also. And then he later says to Philip, I've been with you all this time. I have abided with you, and yet you still don't quite fully grasp who I am and what I'm all about. And he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, just as if you remain in me and I remain in you. And he says in verse 10, the Father who dwells in me. God is a God who dwells. And I think what that's saying to me about salvation is that it's not about realizing something way off in the distance but realizing that God is a God who dwells with us now. God is a God who abides with us now. That our relationship with God is not ultimately about what happens after life, but about what happens during life. We have a dog. How many of y'all have dogs? Yeah, yay for dogs. I'm not a cat person, I'm sorry. I'm allergic to cats, so you'll have to forgive me on that front. I sneeze a lot when I get around them. Uh, But we have this dog, and it's actually, um, it it was given to us by uh, my in-laws, by Mallory's parents. And um, he's a good little dog. Um, He is super clingy, though. I mean, like beyond, um, beyond like the norm, uh, to the point where it's like, dude, just back up and give me some space. But this dog wants to be with me wherever I go in and through the house. His favorite spot is when I'm sitting on my recliner. I love my recliner, but my, my, his favorite spot is also my recliner. And what he'll do is, uh, I'll, I'll prop the legs up and he'll jump up there and just sit on my legs just for inordinate amounts of time. Uh, and he'll, he just will stay there and abide with me. See where I'm going there? This, this dog follows and stays with and dwells with us and just wants to be with us, is always wanting to be in our presence, is always wanting to touch us. And I think God kind of operates in the same way. God wants to be with us. God abides with us. God is always there if we are willing to be attentive to God's presence. And that presence can be found in unusual, 
unexpected places and people. That where I am, there you may be also. My God is a God who dwells. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is that it's not ultimately about the end destination. It's about the journey. That God is with us through it all. And so Jesus tells Thomas, who says, where is this end destination? He says, no, Thomas, it's not about the end destination. It's about the journey. And Jesus says, I am that way. I am the way to that end destination. But more than that, I am the end in itself. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus' way should also be our way. There's a theologian uh, in about the 11th century named Peter Abelard. And he thought a lot about this. He thought a lot about how all of this works. And he kind of really fully developed this idea, uh, a fancy uh, theory of atonement called the moral exemplar theory of atonement. And he says that... What Jesus was trying to do and the way that Jesus saves us is by helping us see the way of God. Not necessarily the way to God, but the way of God. And that to follow in that way means to imitate Christ, means to see Jesus as the ultimate example of the way we are to live, to pour out ourselves in the same way that Christ pours out himself. And that if we do those things that Jesus did to live and move with the people who are forgotten, with the people who are outcast, with the people who we think don't belong, if we can live and move with them, that's the same way as Jesus. If we can live and move self-sacrificially in the same way that Jesus did, that is the way of Jesus. And that ultimately that is how the world is transformed. Again, this is the idea that salvation happens in the here and now, not in the distant future. And so we are actually invited into this. Tony Jones says this, God is not coercive. God does not demand. Instead, God invites and beckons. And the cross is the ultimate invitation to each human being to live the life that God wants us to live. It's the ultimate invitation to live the life that God wants you to live. That salvation is about what happens here and now and not in the distant future. See, salvation is not just a being saved from It's a being saved to. It's not just about what we're saved from. It's about what we're saved in order to do, in order to be. So 
we're not just saved from death, but we're saved to life. We are saved from our false selves to our true selves in Christ. We are saved from indifference to making a difference. We are saved from isolation and separation to relationship and wholeness and abiding. We are saved to dwell with God. That that is what salvation is all about. And dwelling with God can start right now. And at the table, at the communion table, this invitation to live into what God wants you to live into is here again and again. And it is a grace of God that God gives to you to make possible your walk with Jesus, your way being Jesus' way. There is a lot of pain and anguish and fear and mistakes in There's lots of things to be worried about, as the song that the band played talks about. Why can't we just escape it? How far is heaven? And Jesus answers this way. Heaven is right here. Heaven is a whisper away. Heaven is as palpable as the sunshine. Heaven is as far away as it is from me to you when I extend my hand in grace. Heaven is right here, right now. We can live into it and to its possibilities today. And that, that is the good news for us this morning. Amen. Amen.